Again, I'm Tim Rogers, uh, lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us here in person. If you're watching on Facebook Live, glad to have you doing that. And uh, podcast later, be glad to have you listening there as well. Um, well, I wanted to invite you back into a series we're in called Big Questions That Shape Your World. And we're in, um, uh, let's go with part five of the series. And we've been asking some big questions about how this world works and trying to answer it and understand that there are two different perspectives on answering some fundamental questions about this life. One from a more secular perspective and one we're taking from a Christian perspective. And we've made the case, tried to make the case, that both secular thinking and Christian thinking are both actually belief systems. And the question is, which is the most robust and reasonable way to think through the biggest questions that drive your life? Now, we've talked about questions like, what is the meaning of life? And, you know, how do we think about freedom and can I just do whatever I want and not hurt anybody and you may have noticed that I have a friend up here this morning with me and I'd like to introduce my friend to you and the friend has a name and this friend actually came from my in-laws house I believe and she she has a name that she brought in so I have to honor that and her name is Bertha here all right why are you laughing at her already? I mean, good grief. Take it easy on Bertha, okay? So Bertha has been aptly named, and uh, Bertha has a bit of a problem because she has an identity crisis right now. I mean, frankly, she has no head and no arms, legs, or really anything in the back. She's actually quite hollow. What Bertha does have, however, is a little bit of an envelope here, and inside of this envelope are some things that Bertha tends to think about herself. Bertha is a lot like any one of us, and as we think about how do we make our way in the world, how do we present ourselves? What will people think of me when I stand in front of them, Bertha? Don't we all like to project at least something? I'd love for everyone to know that I have confidence. This is in Bertha's envelope. <laughs> a confident mannequin. I think she'd also like to say, I have some strength. You can count on me every time you need to put something on me. You can. I have some strength. I think Bertha might also like you to know, I have some wisdom. I can see my way through the world. I can figure it out. I'm smart enough to kind of make my own way. Bertha might also want you to know, hey, uh, I have some fun. I'm a fun person to be around. People like hanging out with me. Bertha, depending on where she's at, might also be a person of faith. I want you to know I have faith. I believe. And while I struggle with it, yeah, I certainly believe. Bertha's not unlike all of us. As we figure out how to make our way in the world, we think these are some pretty good things to have, right? As I project out to you, look out to you, I would love for you to think I'm confident. I'm strong, I'm wise, I'm kind of fun to be around. I got faith, and many others. So I would ask the question, as Bertha thinks about who she is and her identity, which one of these is she to choose? Or maybe some compilation thereof. As she puts together her Instagram profile, how would she describe herself? Well, I'm a confident, strong, um, smart, fun-loving Christian girl. Isn't that good? It's a good Instagram profile. But inside, here's what I know, that Bertha 
If we could look inside of her, her identity is not just what she projects out to you and what she projects out to me, but if I could go back inside of her, and like I said, she's hollow, behind, behind faith is actually fear that Bertha is well aware of. I want to project to you that I have fear, but I know faith, but inside I know that I actually have a good amount of fear. I want to project to you that I'm a lot of fun, but when I'm alone at home, I'm actually dealing with loneliness in a significant way. I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but I sure hope that I can. I would bet Bertha would say, hey, not only am I wise, but I recognize this, that there's an element of foolishness to my life. I have made some dumb decisions. I have a whole world of regrets around foolish decisions that I've made. She would also say, I'm strong, but I might be the only person who understands my weaknesses as much as I do. That inside of me, I recognize I am not nearly as strong as I want to project that I really am. <laughs> and while I might want to make you look, make you think I'm confident, behind that is shame. And I'm ashamed of how much it matters what you think of me. I'm ashamed of how much I feel like my beauty in the mirror is really a part of my identity to the degree that it is. I'm ashamed of the things that I look at and think about, the way I talk about other people when no one else is looking. And aren't we all a mix of that which we want to project and that which we know is actually true inside? And what a conflicted person my friend Bertha is who on the outside wants you to believe in this confident strong, brilliant, fun-loving, faith-filled young woman, but on the inside wrestles with everything that you do and everything that I do, the exact opposite of what I want to project. And my question for you and my question for my friend Bertha this morning is, who are you really? What is your identity? What kind of mixture of confidence and shame and strength and weakness and faith and fear and wisdom and foolishness are you after all? And how in the world can you find a place where you can anchor your identity, where you're not going to hurt yourself and hurt other people? That's the question for this morning. Where can you anchor your identity where you're not going to end up hurting yourself by placing all kinds of ridiculous expectations on yourself that you will always be confident, you will always be strong, you will always be faith-filled, and not hurting other people, where you need them to fill in your weaknesses, where you need them to approve of you, where you need the relationships to fill in where you feel weak. Where can you anchor your identity so that you're not gonna hurt yourself and hurt the people around you? That is the question on the table this morning, and we all answer it whether we have done it explicitly or implicitly, and I wanna look at two ways to do it, two ways. So the first thing that I wanna talk about briefly is this. When I talk about identity, when I talk about identity, what actually is identity? And here's what I mean when I talk about identity. Identity is really this. It's your sense of self combined with your sense of worth. Your sense of self is who you are in any environment. Bertha is like the strong, silent type. Always. You might always think, you're funny. You show up to the party and they enjoy having you because you bring the party. You might be a thinker, you might be very logical. You show up to work and people can use you to solve their problems because you can control the spreadsheets and the finances like nobody else. It's who you are all the time is your sense of self. 
This is who I am in every environment. And your sense of worth is your sense of what do I bring to the table that is of value to people. And so it's this combination of who I am in every environment and my sense of value and worthiness that I bring together is this piece of identity. That's how we see it here this morning. Now, the question, another question is this, where do I get identity from? Where do you get identity from? And there's historically been two different answers to this. One is in the traditional environments and traditional cultures, it's within the group. You may know of cultures like this, that your identity comes from being part of the clan or the family or the tribe. And your identity comes from contributing to the family or the clan or the tribe and to your community. That your identity exists only in as much as you're part of this group. We, in North America, do not live in that world. In the modern West, we have shifted the basis of our identity to the individual. We simply have. We may grow up thinking, well, this is normal. And isn't it normal for me to express myself the way that I want to? No. It's just the way that we do it. If you ever question this, um, just watch the Grammys of last week. I don't know how many of you watched the Grammys, but you will see our artists, our leading culture shapers, are attempting to be extremely unique. Why? Because we don't want to be like anybody else. We're not necessarily part of that group. We have our own unique mix. The, the individual, and this is so important for us to understand, if you are growing up in this modern West, if you are growing up in this modern West, this is the reality for you. You grew up thinking, this is just normal. I have to find my own way. This is just the way it is done here. But there are some significant problems with attaching identity to the individual. There are some significant problems with attaching identity to the individual. Okay? A couple of things here. First of all this, that the desires that we have conflict one another. When I attach the identity to an individual, I have to think about then who do I want to become? If it's really up to me, who do I want to be? Do I want to be a confident, fun-loving person? Do I want to be the quiet, silent, stable type? Do I want to be risky and adventurous? Or do I want to be safe and calm? I don't know. Maybe I should be pursuing blue-collar, white-collar, no-collar. You know, it's up to me. And my desires, my desires conflict. At times, I want to be a great parent. And at times, I want to sleep in. Right? You, you can't have both. And so our desire, when we attach identity to the individual, we have to recognize there are some issues. Our desires conflict. Secondly, our desires change. If you ever talk to a person in college, ask them how many times they changed their major. Hey, our desires change over time. At times, I want to be this person. Later on, I want to be this person. Well, let me, let me ask you, who are you? Well, I don't know. It depends on when you ask me. And so if we attach identity to an individual, it's important to figure out, well, okay, my desires conflict, and the desires that I have also change. Now, here's what I also want to say about this. It's actually not our desires that shape our world, but it is our beliefs about our desires that shape us. When I came back from Barbados as a missionary kid, I came to the United States here and went to Pecoa Valley High School, and I learned that there's a different way that students see the world. And I realized that there are several groups in high school at the time when I was there. There were, um, you guys can help me out with what's going on now, but there were jocks, there were preps, there were, this is my favorite, um, heads, as if we all didn't have one of those. They got their own group, I guess, metal heads, I don't even know what that was about. They tended to have long hair and dress in black that might be kind of goth right now, I don't know, but it's not quite the same as goth. They were nerds, 
geeks, um, and then the nerds and geeks were different, I think. I don't think you can be a nerd and a geek at the same time, although the line was kind of blurred. But there were some clear categories. And I remember as a, a kid in high school thinking, okay, excuse me, w what do I want to be? Like, I'm entering this new world, and I have no background here, so what should I be? I had a desire. I had a desire to fit in. But my desire didn't do enough for me. Just because I desired to fit in, it didn't give me enough clarity. I needed a belief about my desire. In other words, I needed to figure out, of my five choices, which one do I believe will be the most valuable for me? Well, what if I decide to be a jock and get into sports? Will that give me the most meaning? What if I decide to be a head? Can you imagine me with... All right, I'll move on from that. That wasn't ever going to work out for me. What if I decide to be a prep? What if I decide to be a geek or a nerd? Which one, which one will, do I believe will bring the most value to me? That our desires actually don't shape us, it's actually our beliefs about our desires that shape us. Okay? Now, with that being said, this is why it's impossible to bestow meaning on ourselves. Because I need your evaluation of my decisions to make sense of my world. I can't choose my own identity. When the identity is attached to the individual, I need to recognize that the only thing, I chose the path of kind of, I was in between the jock and prep category is where I was. Probably not a surprise if you know my background. But the only thing that made sense to me, like I couldn't choose that and, and, and bestow meaning on myself that way. I needed to have it affirmed by you. You needed to affirm me, and so I don't actually get to choose my own identity. I need to have it bestowed on me by other people. That's just the way that, that is when the identity is based on the individual. And also this, identity is often then based on what we're not. Think about this in our current culture, or even in my world in high school. When I was a jock and a prep, I was not a head or a nerd or a geek. If I'm a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. If I'm a Republican, I'm not a Democrat. If I want to splinter our U.S. society apart politically, let's have that conversation. See, our identities, when it's based on the individual, it requires me to put other groups down that are not like me. Oh, I'm hardworking, but they are lazy. Oh, the reason I'm in this economic class and there and that one is because I do this, and if they would do something different. And the identity based on the individual immediately polarizes people and says, there's an other. I am this way, but you are other when the identity is wrapped up in the individual. It's just the nature of the beast. Also, finally, this. When the identity is wrapped up in the, in, in the individual, our identity, when it's picked, we must succeed. Wrapping the identity into the individual is a crushing weight to bear. Because if you decide that your identity is going to be wrapped up in the person you marry, if your marriage fails, you fail. If your identity is wrapped up in your success in business and your business fails, you fail. If your identity is wrapped up in athletics and you don't make the team or you get hurt, you fail. If your identity is wrapped up in creating a financial future of certain benchmarks and you don't get there, you are a failure. It is a crushing weight to bear that we cannot bear to have identity tied into me as an individual or you as an individual. Our desires are constantly changing. They conflict with one another. I can't even, I don't have the perspective to base it on myself, and this is a, a weight to bear that simply cannot be borne. And so when I think about my friend Bertha here, I think about what she tries to project and what's actually going on inside. I recognize there's an external and an internal 
battle that we have. Where can I find out who I really am that doesn't hurt you and doesn't hurt me? But what if there's another way, and this is what I want to introduce to you here from a Christian perspective. What if instead of looking internally about all my fear and shame and guilt and how I really think about the world, and rather than looking externally about how I want to project myself and what you think of me, what if instead of looking inward or outward, we look upward? And this is what the Christian introduces that is a game changer for how you see who you are. The Apostle Paul wrote this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4. He said this, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You see what he's saying? I don't care if I'm judged by you. I don't care if you're the one who reacts to my life. It's not you who really matters in this sense. God, I recognize, is the one who ultimately I am accountable to. He's the one who I stand before. This begins to be a game changer. What if, what if who you are, what if your identity is not created by you, but found by you? What if you don't need to create your identity, but what if you need to find it? And what if in finding it, you find that it is located in a place outside of yourself and even outside of this world? Paul wrote again in Philippians, and it was mentioned even um, earlier this morning, I think in our connect group, but he wrote, he wrote this in Philippians. As he was considering his background and all his accomplishments, and Paul was an amazing teacher, leader, he said, what is more, I consider everything that I've done. So you think about your everything for a minute. Think about your education. Think about your experience. Think about your business savvy. Think about your family. Think about all the money that you have saved for a minute. Think about everything that you have done up to this point. Everything that you have, people look at you and they ha you have a reputation. Everything that has built that reputation in you, Paul is putting it on the line. He's saying, I consider everything a loss compared to this, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he goes on, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and look what he says, and be found in him. That I could be found in him, that I will find myself in Christ. Rather than finding myself in all that I have done, all that I have accomplished, all that has built my reputation to this point, all that I have leaned on, all that I pick on, and all that I hope other people validate about me, rather than externally and internally, what if I look upward and see that I'm actually found in Christ? And then he says, not having a righteousness of my own, like this righteousness that God gives me doesn't belong to me on my own, not as if I earned it, that comes from the law, comes from doing good things, not that way, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He's saying this way of thinking is a matter of your faith and a matter of mine. For the Christian, Paul is saying, if you want to be found in him and find your identity in him and find who you are in him, this is a matter of through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. This begins to create for the Christian what I like to call a cross-shaped or a gospel-shaped identity. 
that for Christians, the way they see the world and who you are isn't by trying to to balance who I want to project and who I know I am inside. It's not about creating a 5, 10, 50-year plan. It's about looking upward. And think about what happens when you do that. Think about what happens for the Christian. When the Christian looks upward instead of outward or internally. All of a sudden, think of the other, for example. (laughs) Think of the person on the other side of the political aisle from you. Think about the Democrat, the Republican, the third party. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, who is the other? Who is the other for the Christian? Who is the hardworking versus lazy? Who is that person? Who is the other who doesn't meet your economic class? Who is that person? Who is the person who has sinned and failed, and you who haven't? Who is that person? Who is the other? There is no the other. There is no the other for the Christian identity. Because the Christian identity brings us to the cross to say Christ died for all. And so immediately I'm humbled deeply. Immediately I'm humbled by the cross. Immediately I'm brought down in my rhetoric. Immediately I'm brought down in my judgment. Immediately I'm brought down in my anger. And immediately I come down and say there has to be more here. Think about what this does for your desires. Desires, we talked about desires when they're wrapped up in the individual, they conflict and they change. What if my desire is to know Christ? What if my desire is like what Paul said here, to consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, that I may be found in him? When does that desire need to change? When does it need to conflict? When does it change based on the season of life? See, the Christian identity is wrapped up in this space where we don't need to project, nor do we need to internally find out who we are, but we rather need to look upward. And say something is very different. And so my identity as a high schooler, while wrapped up in being an athlete and doing well in school, being a jock and a prep, that wasn't my identity. That was how I began to see myself. That's what I wanted to project to you, but I knew behind I was fighting this over and over and over and over and over again looking for all kinds of ways to anchor my identity in myself. Imagine. Imagine if you actually had your identity wrapped up in Jesus as your anchor. I think it was Tim Keller in his book, Making Sense of God, wrote something to this nature. He said this, something around this. I'm not quoting him directly. But if Jesus' work on the cross is the source of your identity, then nothing that happens in this world can get at your identity. I just want to think about that security for a minute. If Jesus' work on the cross is the anchor or the source of your identity, then nothing that happens in this world can get at your identity. What that means is, when you don't get enough likes on Insta, when you look at your face in the morning and you are all broken out, when you get dumped by somebody, when the business deal falls apart, When your kids are telling you that you're the worst parent in the universe, when you feel lonely from the loss of a loved one, if Jesus is the source of our identity, then there's nothing, nothing, nothing in this world that can get at your identity, at who you really are. So, we asked the question at the beginning, what is your identity? We said this, it's your sense of self combined with your sense of worth. 
For the Christian, their sense of self is this, who I, who I am in every situation. Who I am? I'm a child of God. I'm adopted as a member of his family. I'm created by this God and made in his image. And my sense of worth comes from understanding that Christ has died for me. That Christ has died for me. The God of the universe has brought this to bear. So here's what I'll say for Christians. Christians find their identity not in, not out, but up. And it's a different way to see who you are. It's a strengthening place to be. And when Christians look up, what they see is they see a God who has made them, who has adopted them, and who has redeemed them. And this is an anchor point for how Christians live. And so we think about different ways to answer the question about how can you find a place to anchor your identity where you don't hurt yourself and you don't hurt others. In the secular worldview, there's so many great things said about how to find your true self and find happiness within that space and work on these, uh, you know, these things that you know, even I put out here with my friend Bertha this morning, the character traits that should be exhibited and understanding your true self inside, and that's all good, but it's also internal, external. Christian takes another perspective and says, what if it's upward? And what if in looking up, you can anchor who you are to something that the rest of this world can never shake from you? The last thing I'll say this. If this is where you are, and this is kind of where you want to go, I would want to say this, that when you look up, God can show you how to enhance your identity in this world. When you look up, God can show you how to enhance your identity, meaning that for some of you, you're, um, you're great hosts and hostesses. And God can show you how to enhance that in the kingdom of God. For some of you, you're great business-minded people. And God can show you how to enhance that for the kingdom of God. For some of you, you have great gifts of mercy and compassion. And God can show you how do you enhance that without needing the affirmation of everybody. Without needing to have a successful business that is a crushing weight to bear. For some of you, you have an incredible mind. You are so thoughtful in what you say. And God can use that without needing the affirmation of other people or without fearing failure yourself. Because when the weight is on you alone as an individual, it's a crushing weight to bear because you cannot fail. But for the Christian, they look up and say, this is how God has made me. And God, help me see how I can express how you have made me in this world that I'm in. That I can be a child of yours in this world, extending your kingdom to the people that I see and trusting that God will do that. And that is what he will do when Christians look up and not outward. Now, this is a hard world. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you that. It's a hard world that's going to challenge your ability to believe that sometimes that there are better days ahead. And I want to tackle one more question with you before we get to the finale in this series. And the question I want to tackle with you next week is this. Is there such a thing as hope that both abides daily and can endure the worst things that life can bring. And so have you ever struggled with hope that both abides daily and can endure? I want to invite you to consider being here next week for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning, for coming around this question relative to identity and where we put our confidence, where we anchor our hope to. And I pray that you would help us to be husbands and wives and men and women and business leaders, teachers and leaders in our communities, students, athletes, musicians, 
We're people who don't depend on our own success for our identity or don't depend on the affirmation of others who can look up instead of outward, who can look up instead of inward, who can look up and find ourselves in Christ, who can put our accomplishments in perspective in light of how Christ has made us, that we may be found in you and that we can rest in that space and invite you to enhance our identity in this world, to work out the gifts and the wiring that we have in a way that makes a difference in the world around us. And so I pray that you would help us with that kind of courage to see ourselves truly for who we are. We thank you for being such a good, good father who has loved us the way you have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.